0: This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. And welcome back to Scissors and Scrubs. I'm Nicole. I'm Laura. And it's November. We're actually recording before Halloween. Yes. But it's um, November, yeah. so I spent the day in Law. I'm feeling good. hmm And... We put some, again, out of the hat, and we decided to do Dr. Robert Liston and... Joseph Lister. Joseph Lister. Liston versus Lister. Mm-hmm. We're going to do Liston first, mm-hmm. because Lister was actually in Liston's audience one day. Okay. And that's when he decided to do what he did. Okay. Okay. Are we ready for this, Laura? Yes. All right. So Liston is born October 28th, 1794, in a small village in West Lothian, Scotland. West Lothian? West Lothian, never heard of it. He was the firstborn of Reverend Henry Liston, a village minister and a pipe organ inventor. Oh. He was just. Imagine how exciting he must have been around I the know. house. And Margaret Arderland, even though she was from Scotland. His mom died when he was six, and he was raised by his dad. 1808, mm-hmm. age of 14. Goes to med school. Of course he does. I couldn't get my kid to wipe his ass, but he you went know. to med school. Yeah. At the University of Edinburgh to study medicine. Mm-hmm. Two years later, at 16, he begins his medical training under the famed anatomist John Barclay. Oh. He studied under Barclay for six years. and In 1814, he's appointed house surgeon at the Royal Infamy in Edinburgh. And in 1816, he's admitted to the Royal College of Surgeons in London at the age of 22. Yikes. This guy is something. Yeah. Okay. At twenty-two, Robert Liston stands a whopping six two, which you never saw in old England. Yeah, they're very small back then. So because he's six he's slightly intimidating. Right. Slightly. Very argumentative and just kind of an asshole. Well, he's a surgeon. He's kind of a douche. I mean, he was destined. He was a surgeon. Be, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um in 1818, he and John Barclay, they have a little tiff. uh And Liston's like Fuck you. I'm out. I'm going to open my own class. So he starts his own anatomy class. Mm -hmm. He has 60 students immediately. And he's known to be fearless and he would operate on patients. Everyone else would turn away. So without apology, he expressed his disapproval of surgeons he did not respect and whose practices he found inferior. This will come in later. Okay. To a very famous surgeon we've already discussed. Okay, All right. Some patients had been rejected by surgeons at the infirmary, leading to a charge that he was inducing patients away from the facility to his own practice. Uh-huh. So he didn't believe in turning anybody away if he he tried to help everybody, mm-hmm. and so he would be accused of stealing patients from them. Mm-hmm. So because of this accusation, he's banished from the royal infirmary. Oh, chico, oh, oh, lad! Wow. So this lasts about two years, and he returns to the royal college shortly, and then he accepts. He comes in, he gets back, and then he's like, "You know what? Fuck you! I'm going to London." So he accepts a position as professor of surgery at the newly opened University College Hospital in London. Excuse me, he's 34. Jesus. He practiced there till the day he dies. Wow. In 1834, surgery is not exactly something you were looking forward to. No, you're talking pre-anesthesia, mm-hmm. no septic technique. Mm-hmm. So surgeons would they wear aprons? And they'd wear the same apron every surgery mm-hmm. and not clean it mm-hmm. because the dirtier and filthier it was mm-hmm. showed you how experienced it right. was. So if somebody else's brain matter was on your gown, yeah, you, hey. hey, you've done brain yep. surgery before. So imagine wearing the same gown and gloves for every surgery to show how people how Imagine the smell. Oh my God. So it's filthy with pus, blood, bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wounds would be dressed with like poultices afterwards and mm-hmm. salves that were disgusting. One in four patients who had surgery, died from infection. Mm-hmm. Um, in weeks, Liston was known as the fastest kn- knife of the West. He's one of the first doctors to perform some form of aseptic technique. He thinks it's disgusting to wear the same gown. Mm-hmm. But bless you, Pluto. So he would change his apron every time. Uh, there's no concept at this time of microorganisms or bacteria. So the fact that he is so quick... They didn't realize at the time the reason he'd have less infections is because he was so quick. Mm, so he had less exposure mm. to uh, microbes. He also had an inherent sense of cleanliness, and this brought on uh, less infection rates. So he was the first, one of the first to wash his hands before and after surgery. Mm-hmm. He would wear a clean, fresh apron. He would shave surgical sites before incisions, which you never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, surgical sponges had to be clean, and dressings were soaked in cold water only. No poultices, no salves, no mm-hmm. nothing. He also believed surgery was a last resort. Um, he he said you needed to know when to operate and when not to. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Anybody remember that song? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I'm right. looking from quote number two because it's coming up. Okay. Okay. All right. So he strongly believed that you cannot operate without a strong background in anatomy. I mean, good point. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. Yeah. know your anatomy. Well, you know. 1930s.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, quote number two. If I can read it, because it's dark, the function and structure of parts are more frequently preserved uninjured. Mutilation is a is more rarely required. Operations are dispensed with. The wider the extension of pathology, the fewer the operations will be. So the more you knew about you were doing, the fewer the operations you would need. Thus affording the best criterion of professional. The way they spoke, I just I can't. Like he actually says this. The. The Criterion of Professional Atonement. Who will question that there is more merit in saving one limb by superior skill than lopping off a thousand with the utmost dexterity? So, he thought you should know what you're doing before you start whopping off people's arms and legs. I so, like yeah, he was he was the first to think this way, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Um, after it was decided, patients needed surgery. Mm-hmm. They were prepped, shaved, cleansed, readied. You would, he would enter... The operating theater. So we're talking 1834. You had the little hole in the floor they were operating on. You had the galley. Everybody's watching yeah, what he's doing. And they're on like bleaches. And because of who he was, it would be packed. Mm-hmm. So Which he, is great
1: for sterile technique. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, wait, because he it gets better. He has um, a 300 mortality rate in one surgery. Uh. Uh, so he would go in, and the first thing he would say to everybody is, Time me, gentlemen. Time me. That was his quote of the season. Uh-huh. He brought his survival rate, believe it or not, to one in 10 deaths out of one in four. He was known to perform amputations in as quick as 30 seconds.
1: Jesus Christ. Literally
0: 30 seconds. Average being two and a half minutes skin descent. That has to be the sharpest knife you've ever seen. He developed his own knife. Oh. Okay. It's still in our kit. kits. He revolutionized amputations. He developed the U-shaped incision, the fish mouth. Yeah. Because before they would just do a straight incision and then they couldn't cover the Close bone. Close it. Yep. So he's like, no, you got to do this. And so he develops the u shape. Um, and it would leave a flap for the skin available to cover the bone. It required a lone shaped straight knife that was sharp on both sides. Mm-hmm. Known as the Liston knife, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure is still an REM kids mm-hmm. today. Page flip. Uh, he developed forceps with a built-in snap to keep the tips pressed together to control arterial bleeding. You know what they were called, Laura? Mm. No. Bulldogs. Oh, bulldogs. Yeah. That he, makes sense. Yeah, he created bulldogs. <laughs> yeah. His belief in so he had belief in surgical principles, the mastery of anatomy. Quote number three, mm-hmm. Mike, phone please. Um, the foundation of the art of operating must be laid in the dissecting room, and it is only when we have acquired dexterity on the dead subject that we can ju- be justified in the operating room. He was brave, prophetic. So use some. So therapy. you need to do enough anatomy in the on cadavers mm-hmm. before you can do um, live do patients. Call? Yeah, you know, he's in Edinburgh cadavers mm, he's getting them from those uh sick- no but maybe they're around at the time yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we'll talk about that he believed in the patient's emotions i'm going through a couple of quotes here and then i'm done okay. okay so he believed in emotions it is of utmost importance to attend the state of the patient's mind and feelings he ought not to be kept in suspense but encouraged and assured with his apprehensions so he listened to his patients mm-hmm. which at that time people didn't believe him if a patient said, mm, I feel like I'm going to die, mm-hmm. he'd cancel surgery, which we still Good do today. Yes. Because if they say they're going to die, they're going to die. Uh, he believed in post-op care. Mm-hmm. He believed surgery didn't end with the amputation. He believed in experience and courageous actions. I'm actually going to pass on that quote. Okay. He was known to be very harsh with his assistants who were known as dressers. Yes. Dres- the, the dresser would hold you down. Because there's no anesthesia. So they would hold the arms and legs down, mm-hmm. hold the limb, and he would slice through. Um, in in typical surgical form. He'd humiliate them and belittle them of course. if they didn't do what he thought. If his expectations were not met, he humiliated you in front of the entire gallery. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. But then he'd invite them to dinner because he felt bad. Oh well. So he wasn't so he's a, a surgeon. surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. So one of his most famous confrontations, because he, if he thought a surgeon was being completely unethical, he had no problems going up to him being like, you're, you're, you're shit. I yeah. think you suck. This is what you do. One of his most famous confrontations was Dr. Robert Knox. Oh. For so those of you who haven't listened to all of our episodes yet, Robert Knox is from our Burke and Hare episode. Mm-hmm. First, was it our first Halloween episode? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. So the two serial killers who were in Edinburgh at the time, and they would- take the bodies and some to dr Knox, and he'd use them to um dissect and do for his anatomy class so he's suspicious of Knox. he's like Knox is getting all these bodies where's he getting them mm-hmm. from something's up here uh he had a, he had heard about Birkin here he had a feeling that's where he was getting these mm-hmm. guys so he out of the blue with an assistant barges into Knox's lab and he finds him with the body of mary patterson who was oh. the pretty girl who was kept in whiskey yeah for like three months ago. yeah yeah and she's in a lascivious position. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> lascivious. Liston grabs the body, gives her a pe- proper burial because he's disgusted and proceeds to berate Knox right there in the room. Um, he also publicly demonishes a doctor, James Yearsley, for taking someone's tonsils and uvula out for stuttering. What? Yep. Guy was stuttering. We didn't take everything out. That's. Yep. Okay. But he's also known to make mistakes. Well, um a young kid came in to him he had this massive next mass mm-hmm. and listen's like it's pus pus takes his knife right into the, it was an aneurysm oh, Kid yeah, bled to death in, the room. in like a second <laughs> completely bled to death in the room then his most famous case is his surgery that had a 300 percent mortality rate okay so it's a leg amp okay they bring the guy in galley's gallery whatever the well because now everybody's waiting oh, it's for him fucking, to die it's yeah. packed all right it's packed and i mean they're like he's here's a surgeon the the railings are right next to him yeah. okay so the dresses are holding the guy down bump, bump, bump. he brings his knife up he swings it down slices into the guy's leg and takes all of the fingers off the dresser <gasps> swings the knife back up and he hits the guy behind him who has such a shock Has a heart attack and dies right where he's standing. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Brings it back down and takes the leg off. 28 seconds, he gets the legs off. And he maims one person and kills another. Takes the (laughs) legs off, takes the limb off. But the knife wasn't cleaned like he asked. So both the dresser and the patient get gangrene and die. Oh, my God. Three patients, one surgery, done. Yeah. Wow. Another time. So he's... Um, all right, that was the whole, I wrote it, (laughs) goes up, misses the coat of the guy, guy has a heart attack and dies right there in the gallery. Pretty funny. I'm sorry. God. Um, another time he's so fast, he cut he cuts a man's balls off at the same (gasps) time. So he goes to take the leg, the testicles go with it. Oh my God. But he had some good stuff. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. He is the first person to perform a public operation using modern anesthesia in Europe. Mm-hmm. On December 21st, 1846. Mm-hmm. And his comment is, Yankee Dodge beats Mesmer... mesmerum. I, mean, I can't even pronounce it. Hollow. So before they would use anesthesia, they tried hypnotism, mm-hmm. which is the Mesmerum Hollow. Mm-hmm. And they tried... There was something else they tried. Was it chloroform? They tried something else. It was bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to talk a little bit about anesthesia. And I was saying, I wish we had done this episode in October. Because in uh, the ether day is in October when one of the hospitals in Boston discovered ether first time October 1846 and this guy's birthday was in October mm-hmm. so but we didn't we're doing it in November so shut up. okay I don't think they give I don't think they give a shit no. either okay so before anesthesia obviously surgery is a huge nightmare um, some surgeons actually believed your screaming patient meant that he was willing to live. And it was better for them to scream. He was fighting, he was fighting mm-hmm. for his life. He had a will to live. No, you're killing me. Yeah. yeah. So in 1845, Horace Wells, who was a dentist in Boston, he decides to use nitrous oxide to pull a patient's teeth. Mm-hmm. It was a flying disaster. The mm-hmm. patient screams the whole time. The nitrous oxide doesn't work. The entire place laughs him out of, the, like, laughs him into hysterics. Mm-hmm. He's gone. So in 1846, October of 1846, another Boston dentist, William Morton, who pretty sure tried this out many times before he decides to go to the ether dome and, and give it a shot. Yeah. He uses ether, which is a synthesized form of sulfuric acid and alcohol. And he successfully puts a patient to sleep and pulls a tooth, which to me, it looks like they're doing like a parotid gland, but they must have pulled the tooth from outside. From outside. Uh, weeks later in December, you got Liston doing the first anesthetized surgery in Europe. The problem with ether is it explodes, so it doesn't go well with (laughs) gas-lit ORs. Uh (laughs) Shortly after, a Scottish midwife professor, um, James, I have it written down somewhere and I don't know why I don't have it, but James, he develops chloroform. And the thing with chloroform it's not flammable, but patients would die because you couldn't get the dose right. Mm -hmm. So, quote six, let's see. Alright, the first recorded victim was a 15-year-old Hannah Greener of Newcastle in Northeast England. On 28th of January, 1848, she sent to a surgeon, Thomas Megason, for the removal of a toenail. Oh! Like, you had to go to a surgeon for a toenail? Yeah, and you had to go to sleep for it? Exactly. After dripping some chloroform on a cloth and holding it over her face, she passes out. He begins to slice at her toe, and a few minutes later, she stops breathing. He tries to give her some brandy to revive her, but it was too late and she was dead. <laughs> the brandy's in the bring her right brandy back. My father-in-law used to think blackberry brandy cooked, like, diarrhea, pneumonia. Take some blackberry brandy. It'll cure you. Mm-hmm. Anytime I was sick, he's like, do you have any blackberry brandy? No. Have you ever even seen? No, I've never and even heard of it. That me, was his cure-all. Back to old wives' tales. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow, also oh. known Game of Thrones, he is looking into um, chloroform, and he's so convinced of its benefits that he starts working on it, okay? And he figures out to successfully chloroform people without killing them. Mm-hmm. Most people are still sketchy of it. British battle surgeons, British battle surgeons are refuse to use it. They'd rather use screaming. But he's so convinced of it that he gives it to Queen Victoria during her birth of her eighth child, oh. successfully. And he gets criticized for having endangered the queen. Right. Though she... I mean, eight kids. God damn it. She's like, by just the eighth, me. By the eighth just one, me. she must have been like, just get it out. Whatever. So by 1860, anesthesia is a common practice which allows surgeons more time with patients, better surgeries, um, and infection still a problem. Laura's going to talk about mm-hmm. infection. Until the 1930s, we were still using chloroform. Wow. It isn't until World War II in nuclear medicine mm-hmm. that we start seeing the bring back of ether. And the science behind making nuclear bomb- bombs which is fluoridation chemistry it allowed people to produce effective non-flammable and safer anesthetics so once world war ii comes around we're developing all these chemicals with nuclear weapons they then transfer somehow in anesthesia mm-hmm. crazy all right back to listen <laughs> so in the audience the day he does his anesthetic surgical mm-hmm. procedure mm-hmm. first one with james simpson that's the name of the guy who comes up with chloroform Yeah. And Joseph Lister, your dude.
1: Laura's going to talk about him. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll leave out that part that he watched the first
0: anesthetized surgery. Sorry. When you can talk about it, you can say, you can make it like a story. So while he's there, there's a book. I write it at the end of this. It's called The Art of Butchery. And it's more about Lister than Liston. But it talks about that whole day, how he was sitting there and he was just like, wow, Mm -hmm. this is where it's at. So um, even though he's cut off some wrong things, Mm. he invented see-through Is in glass sticking plaster What is that? Mm Band-aids He developed bulldogs He develops a leg splinter to stabilize The dislocation uh, and fractures Of the femur which we still use today His four most famous cases One is the 300% mortality rate One is the boy with the aneurysm Mm -hmm. He did a Two and a half minute leg amp That took off the guy's balls Mm -hmm. And he did the removal of a 45 pound Scrotal tumor In four minutes and the owner used to carry it around in a wheelbarrow. The barrel. owner. <laughs> the owner of the balls carried it around in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I'd be mean, like, what's in the ball? Just my balls. Just my oh, balls. Well, you couldn't carry. You couldn't just walk pounds. with 45 pounds hanging between your legs. I would have used a chimney sweep. Remember the chimney sweeps? Yes. yes. These yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. We're almost done with Liston. Okay. Because he dies. Oh. A year after he gives that surgery. 1847. Oh. What does he die of? Triple A. Abdominal Aortic aneurysm. And he's probably the only one fast enough to fix it. Right. Right. If they even knew what it was. I know. His funeral consisted of five mourning coaches and five private, 15 private carriages. 400 of his former pupils and 200 medical practitioners are at the cemetery. For 100 years after his death, death, death mm-hmm. the Liston Medal is awarded for surgical excellence at the University College Hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming in London. Mm-hmm. There are portraits and statues of him. But most of all, he is known for his ethics, strong character, and his compassion to his patients. Where did all my information come from? <laughs> Wikipedia's one, so shut up. Uh, an article, Time Me, Gentlemen, The Bravado and Bravery of John Liston by Andrew Jones, Robert Nesbitt, and Stephen Holston. How Agonizing Surgery Paved the Way for Anesthesia. BBC Future. Mm-hmm. How Did Surgeon Robert Liston Kill Three People in One Day. History Colored. And The art of Butchery by Lindsay Fitzharris. And that is Dr. Robert Liston. Boom. nice tiny just tiny tiny gentlemen i know lister was a very somber man lister yeah yeah joseph
1: Lister's not very entertaining is listerine named after him well it's because of it's antiseptic so mm-hmm. that's why they mm-hmm. named it but i got my so he left
0: a legacy listerine we still all the use it
1: yeah um so i got this information from FamousScientist.org and britannica.com so joseph lister is the father of antiseptic surgery
0: and if you don't know what antiseptic surgery is, it's sterilization, cleaning, yeah, washing, means hands. not sepsis. Right, right, right. Opp- opposite no of being sepsis. No germs. Yeah.
1: Um, I've never heard of someone being so destined to do what they did. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> He is like, it's like you were you were born to do yeah, this. Like, you're born to be born. Yeah. Well, Ian, yeah. like, just anyway. So <laughs> Joseph Lister was born on April 5th, 1827, in Essex, England. He was born to Joseph Jackson Lister. And his wife, Isabella Harris, and they were Quakers. So they're very religious. They shake when they pray. Or is Mm -hmm. it
0: shakers?
1: (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. Joseph Jackson Lister, the father, was a wine merchant and like a side scientist. Like he was a wine merchant. And then on the side, he did like little science things. And he was a microscopist (laughs) (laughs) who made a discovery that leads to the modern microscope. The father. Oh, wow. Yeah. He just does this, on, this shit on the side. He's a wine merchant. Well, I mean, they really had nothing else to do. I guess. Um, So Joseph, the son, Joseph Lister that we're talking about, went to the Quaker schools, like two different mm-hmm. Quaker schools for his education. And apparently Quaker schools, which I never would have guessed this, are super into the
0: science. study of science. Well, that's pretty good.
1: Super into. I would have thought the opposite. I don't exactly, know.
0: Exactly. Because they're Quakers.
1: Yeah. But huge well, into the so well. study of science. Um, By the age of 16, Joseph knows he wants to be a surgeon. He's on track
0: to be a surgeon at 16. Oh, Lister H- hadn't beat 14. Yeah.
1: Uh, so keep in mind for the rest of this that he studied a lot of science at his Quaker schools. His father studies microscopic science and works with wine. Just keep that in mind. Right. So Lister attends the University of London. He receives his Bachelor of Arts degree in 1847. He then becomes a medical student there and... Um, And graduates with a Bachelor of Medicine with honors in 1852. He receives two university gold medals for his exceptional grades. Like, the guy's a genius. Mm -hmm. Um, That year, he becomes a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons at University College Hospital, where your friend works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me, me. My
1: BFF. Yeah. Me, listen. So he visits Edinburgh Royal Infirmary in 1853 and meets James Syme. Who is, like, the greatest surgical instructor of Ever. the time. He becomes his dresser. So he's holding the people oh. down for Syme. So Joseph, he becomes his dresser. And in 1856, he's appointed surgeon to the Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. That same year, Lister marries Syme's daughter, Agnes, Slut. who becomes his lab partner. She's, like, super into it, like,
0: oh, wants nice. to learn,
1: into education. So she becomes his like his lab partner. Through their mar- they have a very happy marriage. They work together. They're very Mm
0: -hmm.
1: much in love. They never have kids, um, but they have a very nice life together. Um, In 1859, Lister is appointed to Regius Professorship of Surgery (laughs) at Glasgow (laughs) University. In 1861, he's appointed surgeon to Glasgow Royal Infirmary, where he was in charge of the wards on the new surgical block. So they build this new surgical block. Mm -hmm. The managers of this hospital are praying that sepsis would be greatly decreased in the new building because, you know, it's all the bad air
0: yeah. causing sepsis. They think no back air. then they
1: think it's literally
0: bad air is causing these. Im- they don't realize like mosquitoes are causing disease or anything right.
1: else. Um, It wasn't. Obviously, the new building is mm-hmm. not going to change your um, infections. Um, Lister reported that between 1861 and 1865, between 45 and 50 percent of his AMP cases died from sepsis. Oof. So half
0: of them mm-hmm. dead because of uh, infection. Because so well, at that point, too, Lister's dead. Liston is dead.
1: Yeah. Um, and these are his cases. Mm-hmm. So Lister knows these deaths aren't from surgery. Like, it's not the surgery that's killing them. There's something else happening right. that's killing them. Um, but, and they think it's ward fever, which is sepsis. They get uh, mm-hmm. an infection. It goes into their bloodstream and kills mm-hmm. these sure people. Uh, so he starts some experiments on these wards. He compares patients with simple fractures. So a simple fracture. So say you break your leg. A simple fracture. You break the bone. There's no external cut. There's nothing on your skin. It's just the bone inside is broken. He compares those people to patients with compound fractures, which means you break your bone and, and the, skin the skin opens. He noticed it wasn't the fracture causing this wood fever. It's not it's just the the open your skin. bone breaking. It's the open skin that's allowing bacteria, bacteria to enter the body. This is literally, they have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Um, So Lista starts to think, maybe if I change my operative clothes, because like you said, they wear the same things. Mm -hmm. They leave the blood on them. It was like what they did for stature. And wash my hands before surgery, it will help keep the surgical wounds clean. This seems ridiculous. Ridiculously obvious now. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, you wash your fucking hands before you perform (laughs) surgery on somebody or anything. Um, But back then... It wasn't, like you said, it's a status symbol for surgeons to be dirty and bloody and disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, They think List is ridiculous to change into fresh clothes every time, wash his hands, whatever. I
0: love that people actually think this is ridiculous. Yeah. I think that's what I find the funniest. Yeah. Like, why would What's you wipe that What's wrong with you?
1: You're washing your hands? Mm-hmm. So Louis Pasteur is out at the <gasps> same time. Oh! Yeah. So he's now studying Louis Pasteur's work mm-hmm. with his fermentation and pasteurization principles. He agrees with Pasteur that germs are usually contracted... By the air. They weren't far off. Right. They knew it was outside the body that's causing this problem. Right. Um, Also, since Lister's dad worked with wine, Lister knew wine went bad because the fermentation process was not done properly. Not because germs spontaneously appeared in the wine and caused it to go bad. Because back then, people thought, something's just... These germs are just all of a sudden growing right. in your body. He knew, no, there's something wrong with the process causing this. Something's getting into it, like right. when wine is fermented but left open, something gets into it, spoils the wine. Something's getting into this your body bacteria. and giving you an infection. And he knew that because his father dealt Didn't. with the wine. Um, so he um, applies this idea to open wounds. He needed to find a way to kill the germs before they get a chance to enter the wound to prevent the sepsis. At this time, carbolic acid was being used to disinfect sewers
0: sewers because they need to be disinfected well
1: that well probably i mean i can't even imagine the shit that's coming out of like, so they're disinfecting sewers with carbolic acid so let's start it's like, let me see if this is safe on human tissue <laughs> it is apparently and starts using it to wash his hands before surgery so he's not only washing his hands he's using carbolic acid on his hands to get rid of any bacteria yeah he cleans his instruments with before carbo- every case uh, that makes with sense. carbolic acid um, he places a piece of cotton soaked in carbolic acid over the patient's wounds. So it's not just a wet dressing that's allowing germs to right. get to the... It's, right. It's carbolic acid is going to kill everything that's trying to get into that wound. He even made a machine that sprayed carbolic acid to get rid of airborne germs.
0: Oh, well, that makes sense.
1: So they would spray yeah, that's the wound. Kind right of, yeah,
0: not, I don't think it would work, but...
1: Yeah. But he's at least there. Thinking that thinking, way. Thinking, yeah. Um, he never writes a book. Like most of these surgeons, doctors, whatever, right. they write books. They blah, blah, blah. He never writes a book. Because He wasn't a great surgeon, so he didn't like to put stats out. So, the surgery part he wasn't too great at, but the, the antiseptic part he was fabulous, phenomenal. So, he never published the book, but he does publish his antiseptic findings in journals, right? And they can be found today. Um, so obviously, most people back then didn't believe that organisms too small to see were causing all these deaths, right? Like, oh, yeah, we can't see it, that's what's causing the death. Like, a lot of things they couldn't get wrapped their heads around, right? They think. Lister's like out of his mind um but Lister grew up with his father who was a microscopic scientist so he know he's like no there are things that are, we that can't we see can't with see. our eyes right. that are out there you know so he is like no it's right um uh, some surgeons didn't want to take the time to wash their hands or change their surgical oh come clothes, on that's
0: so gross
1: or clean their instruments so they're like yeah whatever it's fine I'm, that's not what's doing it we're fine um, some did attempt it, but didn't do like the exact method. So they kind of like half-assed it. You can't half-ass no. septic, technique. A septic te- technique. It's not going to be so su- successful. Um, you just can't half-ass shit. Like it's, it's not <laughs> kind of sterile. It's either sterile or not sterile. Yeah, I'm kind of pregnant. Yeah. Um, Lista keeps at it. He, re- um, he refines his approaches. He, you know, gets everything down to a exact science. He goes to Germany. They love it. They're like... Oh I see the Germans yes. totally oh, I love. love clean. Like, they want it, like, you know... Germans boom. are very fastidious. Yeah. So I see that. Yeah. They love it. They adopt his approach. He comes to the U.S. Goes around. Tells people his approach. Everyone poo-poos him. In the United Except States? Except for who? Boston. Boston and New York City. Only two that were like, mm. oh, you are onto something, dude. Yeah. Like, and take it in. Everybody else, yeah, whatever. It's fine. England, still not buying it. They are still not buying this shit. So... In 1877, Lista becomes the chair of clinical surgery at King's College in England. In October 1877, Lista gets his chance to prove to everyone in England, and everybody, yeah. his methods work. For the first time, he wires a fractured kneecap. And he, no one's, like, you fracture it, it kind of just floated around. So he takes a simple fracture, which is, a, again, a bro- bone that is broken, but no flesh wound, and makes it intentionally a compound fracture by... Cutting into the skin. So he is making something that anybody would live through and survive just a simple fracture
0: into something that
1: almost half people die from. So everyone's losing their minds. So now everybody's waiting to hear what happens. You know, there's a million people in there um, because they think you're going to kill this guy because you're deciding to make this incision. His surgery is a success. There's no post-op infection and it pushes his method to be widely accepted. So England finally is like, okay, you must be on to something because you didn't kill that dude. Um, The drop in in post-op deaths was unreal. Surgeons in Munich reported their death rate caused by surgical infection dropped from 80% to zero (gasps) using his methods. Wow. And there's like a million other stats like that. That's crazy though. It reduces it so much. Um, He also does other things. He also proved sterilized materials could be left in the body. He used sterilized silver wire to keep broken bones together and leaves them in there and the patient does not die of them. He introduced rubber drainage tubes to the medical world, so like our drains. Yeah. Um,
0: after he used them on the queen. Oh, of course the queen. She was a hypochondriac, dude. Yeah, but we should I do mean her they sometime. also
1: let her do like these things that were who's experimental. Tell her no? She's yeah. the
0: queen. Um he
1: also found that pulling silk sutures out, like when they would suture something inside with silk, they would go back in and take it out. That's stupid. Right when they pulled it out, it would damage the surrounding tissues. They'd get an effect. It would be a problem. So he sta- he's the one who started using sterilized cat gut. Oh, um, because cat gut eventually dissolves on its right. own. So you do not have to go in and remove it. We still use gut. Yeah. We still use cat gut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meow, meow. he retired from practice in 1893. His wife, Agnes dies in 1892. Oh, he doesn't get God over Agnes. it. He stops working in 1893. Um, He had a ton of honors. He's dubbed Sir Joseph Lister in 1883 by Queen Victoria. He was also her surgeon, her personal surgeon for a while. He became Lord Lister of Lyme Regis in 1897. (laughs) He was given the Order of Merit in 1902, and he was made Privy Council. He became the vice president of the Royal College of Surgeons and president of the Royal Society. He was president of the British Association for the Advancement of Science he helped establish the British Institute of Preventative Medicine in 1891, which was later called the Lister Institute in his honor. Um, for some years before his death, he was almost completely blind in death. Oh. Yeah. Um, he died in Kent, England on February 10th, 1912 at the age of 84. And because of his brilliance in his upbringing and his education, like all of those, you, I don't think he could have had one without the other. Yeah. Um, on fermentation, microbiology, and just science in general, from the Quaker schools, Lister brought aseptic technique to medicine.
0: Bum, bum, and that bum. is Lister. That is Lister versus mm-hmm. Liston. Mm-hmm. What are the chances? Yeah, weird to think that's not even that long ago.
1: It really like you're writing it, and
0: you're like, it's a hundred years ago. Like that's, that's ridiculous that, that that they still yeah. thought yeah. all this shit. And we uh, can't even see when it, you it listen. I mean, nurses in the 70s and 80s didn't know that blood was dirty. Yeah. So they would touch the sponges with no gloves and they didn't think anything about having their hands in blood. Bare, no gloves. Right. That disgusts me. Yeah.
1: Every, I mean, even, even now though, like, not that I bring out sponges of blood, you know, someone will have something, you are like, just give it to me. Yeah. And like, you'll put it down and go wash it. And like the younger people than us are always like, oh, but you don't have, I'm like, it's fine. It was just on the, it's not dirt, you know, like whatever. But it's so funny, like how. I guess they'll... In, like, people who are old, slightly older than us, they We're would touch. and i like, would nothing on the Nothing on yeah. Now we'll touch, like, a little bit, yeah. but then the new the people clean won't pot. touch anything. Me the clean
0: pot. Yeah. Handed me the other LA. <laughs> I was walking into a, um a room the other night, and it was a COVID-suspected room, you know, so I got my... I didn't have the N95 on. I literally was just going in to check on the person. And one of the anesthesiologists is walking behind me. He's not my favorite guy. <laughs> and I'm going to go through the door. He's like what did he say to me? COVID suspect, COVID suspect. And he's grabbing my shirt. What? So I clipped my voice, out. Yeah. He's like ripping my shirt off. I'm like, I got it. Take it easy. You're literally ripping my clothes off. He's like, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, it wouldn't have phased me. I, I just, I felt like I would have, I, I, a lot of these COVID suspected just because they came in through the ER and they haven't gotten their test back, but he was losing his mind yeah. over it i'm like dude take it easy yeah. like, i mean we did this for months with no nothing you know mm-hmm. like so i was just laughing though because i'm oh, sorry sorry like it, you're literally ripping my clothes yeah, off i got it that. i yeah. got it and if anyone's gonna rip my clothes off i don't want it to be you um <laughs> Last all right so that's our one of our november episodes mm-hmm. um we have an interesting one for thanksgiving it literally made me sick while i was writing it Yet mine's not so sickening. No, but, but it's is. still interesting because it all relates. Yeah. It all relates. But I was making myself nauseous. Um so mm-hmm. have a lovely Veterans Day. Yeah. Happy Veterans Day. And um we will catch you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.
1: Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.